Hey, everybody, and welcome to uh, today's episode of The Daily Objective. Today, I'm very fortunate to have Kurt Barbera co-hosting with me today on a very, very controversial topic, which was Jordan Peterson's tweet regarding Yumi News uh, earth-shattering Sports Illustrated cover. Uh, It was a very controversial uh, tweet that went something like this. I'm I'm not paraphrasing, I'm reading directly from the tweet. Sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Well, of course, that's getting us objectivists uh, very excited because it's, it's, uh, it's making us think about standards of beauty. Should there be standards of beauty? Um, uh, is beauty completely in the eye of the beholder, uh, or is there something uh, ob- objectively true that Peterson is saying here, or is he just a jerk off, uh, <laughs> spouting off inappropriately uh, uh, on social media? Um, uh, we're going to try to sort all that stuff out here, but before we get to that, I want to make a quick announcement. At 7 p.m. UK time, we are starting the Fountainhead Book Club uh, on the first chapter with Lisa Van Dam and Shoshana Milgram, so check that out. Uh, and without further delay, Kirk, I mean, uh, I worked with you already on your Artful Tuesdays, the eight great plays. We talked about Shaw, uh, not about Shaw, excuse me, about um, Ibsen and uh, Enemy of the People, and that was very stimulating. So uh, I, f- I fully expect that you have a, a uh, an encyclopedia of awesome Uh-oh. to bring us with respect to, not to put pressure on you. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bring the power. Well, first, I just want to say, like, you know, you're introducing this, but, it, you know, my introduction is... Two equally beautiful men talk about beautiful sta- beauty standards. And I think there's a lot that we could talk about with beauty standards and what, you know, what Peterson is reacting to. And, and there's, uh, you know, so art, I think, has a lot to say about this. And I do want to bring up art. You know, I have some I have actually a, a statue to bring up to show to everybody at some point. And, you know, what what he is reacting to is this swimsuit model you know, uh, model. Think about what that word means, by the way, as the model for us to attain, right? That's, that's kind of what he's thinking. That's what a model is, like a model house, a model person, a model anything. And, you know, so that's what Swimsuit Edition has generally kind of been, is it has these models, which is what everyone tries to attain. And there's been this cultural stream for decades uh, uh, against these models, against these models of beauty. And, you know, I was watching videos ahead of time for the show about, uh, you know, model, standard models of beauty are toxic, are evil, they're oppressive. Like these kinds of ideas are very popular. These videos are getting millions of views. I heard them in high school. I heard them in college. I'm sure you heard them. I mean, have you ever heard the, ter- the, the phrase or the view beauty standards are of different cultures are different beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah. So like if you go to Malaysia, if you go to Indonesia, they have their own standards of beauty. And if you go to Europe, they have their own standards. I mean, we sure. all heard that and there's some truth to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there's a, there's a classic Twilight Zone episode based on the same thing called oh, yeah. the beholder. Yeah, is that the one? That's not the one with the pigs, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, the that's one with the pigs, yeah, yeah. Anybody that's... who hasn't seen that episode, we've just given you a massive spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that's actually one that Ayn Rand wrote about. Mm. Um, She, she loved that episode and she thought of it as like the, the height of romanticism on television, basically, or one of the heights of romanticism on television. But so 
I mean, we've, we've heard this phrase, we've heard this idea that standards are of beauty are subjective and they're in the eye of the beholder. Now, here's one interesting thing I've noticed in kind of looking at these um, expositions by these, these video essays and a few actual essays is that they have the same basic logic that's extremely contradictory when we're talking about beauty standards, right? So they, I wrote down like a little syllogism. So it's, you know, they'll talk about how all cultures have their own standards, Indonesia, Malaysia, China, and so on and so forth. Standards are subjective, right? So this is the eye of the beholder type thing. So it's, that, is, that is the definition of subjectivism is what I find beautiful is beautiful because I find it beautiful, right? right. And then, but here's the thing that they do where they twist it. European standards are evil. <laughs> That's basically the conclusion they come to sure. because it encourages others to change to fit their standards. And they'll often uh, ground it in racism and sexism. So they never talk about how in other cultures where they like lift up your neck to make your neck longer or earlobes stretching or lip stretching or face or bind, painting. Binding feet or binding yeah. hands or binding yeah. heads. Yeah. Yeah. All these other cultural practices where you're trying to fit some ideal model, those they don't ever talk about as like evil or bad. It's only if Europe, if white Europeans is how they put it, white European or American standards are trying to make other cultures more like them. And by the way, often, um, and, and that's how they put it. I wouldn't put it that way. I, the, they, the, the people who are attacking this are putting it that way. To me, that's what I find the most interesting about the attacks on beauty is that all cultures are equal, except European white cultures. Uh, they're evil and bad because they're, you know, everyone's trying to be like them. Correct. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, well, yeah, I think they see everything in, in terms of dominance and oppression, and, and uh, they don't make any distinctions between people voluntarily adopting a standard that they prefer to their own culture and the, and the imposition of a standard. Um, I just talked to uh, somebody on social media today who, made, who confuses persuasion with force and force with yes. persuasion, and that's exactly what these folks do with respect to cultures. They've, they've generally uh, placed Western civilization in the dominance box, and now it can do no right. Even if you choose that, that culture voluntarily, its standards are oppressive. And, and, and when you look at it, I mean, it's, it's because the standards aren't about necessarily accepting the status quo. They're progressive standards mm -hmm. with respect to human growth and development, and that means you are as a human being, the ideal in Western culture is to be the constantly improving being, right? The co mm -hmm. constantly innovating, constantly changing, constantly becoming. And, and uh, people would not don't like that responsibility, I think. And so they'll vilify it rather than embrace it. Yeah. And I think the, so, but I think there's, there's two things here, right? So one is that cultures or, or ethnicities genetically do have slightly different, um, within a certain framework and this that we never talk about when it comes to standards of beauty, that there is a framework, right. Of like, what is essentially beautiful, but there's optionalities and, but there's no definition of what they even mean by beauty other than it's subjective. So for instance, you know, um, Ayn Rand made a really interesting statement about, she, she's not even, the, she's basically echoing many other philosophers in this regard is, is that beauty is about harmony, harmony among the parts, 
that there's a harmony. And so like she uses in a Q&A, she talks about, you know, if you had a, an, a mis, mishmash of features ethnically wise that aren't blended well, that it's not going to look as good. So that's one, that's one thing she actually kind of, you know, I'm paraphrasing what she's saying now. And that's because, you know, if you have like a certain ethnic city that has different eye shape, different nose shape, if you just plop that onto someone else's face, it may not look as good um, in her is what she's kind of arguing. And I think the point she's trying to make is not that you can't blend ethnically. I think that's like a mistake in terms of breeding and, and mating, but she's talking about like, um, if you've ever, if you just take like the standard European nose and put it on a standard African face, it's not going to work as well. Right? it doesn't make as much sense because there's not as much harmony among all the parts. So she's saying there's a beauty to each within their own place. And yet she's still arguing for objective standards and beauty. And now, I mean, so I don't know if anybody's ever played games like video games where you create a character. And you're kind of like create. You could actually create the facial structure. Have you ever played a game like that? No, like a, no. It's like a role playing. Minecraft does something like that, right? Yeah, like, I think they do stuff like that. But like, you can definitely play with different features, and it's interesting to see like what is you know. You could do this. You know, it has, doesn't have to be. Well, a when you're creating game. an avatar, so to speak. yeah, exactly. Okay. And they do it very minutely, where you can like make the cheekbones go a little higher, a little lower. You could go to mm-hmm. the inside, and you can do a whole bunch of stuff. And you can see, like, you can mix and match for sure, but you have to create a harmony if you're going to make it beautiful. Otherwise, it's distorted. And mm-hmm. that's, that's her view of, like, the objective standards of beauty is that there has to be a kind of harmony among all the elements involved. And that doesn't seem far off from the ancient Greek concept of beauty either. Yes. I th- well, I think that is the ancient Greek. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I mean, they, they harmony, thought... Symmetry. That, that kind symmetry. Of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did, they, they applied that to like history literature uh, as well. Like they would want events to be symmetrical. Like this happened on 450 and this happened, you know, parallel wise on, on like, you know, across the planet at the same exact time in 450 BC or something like that, even if it wasn't true because they wanted it to be symmetrical and they, they loved everything harmoniously. So I think harmony is a really important way of looking at beauty uh, as beauty standards go. Um, now, Here's the question that. Uh, but, but let me ask you this. Okay, question. please. Yes. There are some. There are some cultures that I think um, would. Uh, uh, some cultures in Asia that have music that's very discordant. I think to uh, oh, yeah. the European ear. Now, how much of this concept of harmony is is um, is biological or uh, culturally inputted? Right. I mean, it seems to me that that you would almost have an intuitive sense of, of, of harmony and what's symmetrical, right? It says it's perceptual, it's at the perceptual level. Um, but uh, these different kinds of music that, uh, that strike people in very, would strike people in very different ways, uh, what, what, how do you account for that? I, I think that's an interesting question. The discordant, um, the discordant question I, in, in, that particular music, I don't really have anything interesting to say about that because I don't understand it either, to be honest. I think I, because I've heard it, it definitely is striking in a weird, to me in my Western ear, in, a, in an odd way that doesn't have the universal. What I, I will counter with is the, 
adoption in Asian cultures of Western sounding music once they heard it, once they started hearing it, the, the, some grandmasters came out of that culture and still come out of that culture. And I think, you know, so I, I, I don't know like enough about what music and how it operates in our minds and, and what that might've done for them in their culture and the discordant era. I mean, I, I do know in some Asian literature, there, there is a kind of discordant element even to the literature. Like if you've watched movies that are uh, Japanese movies or Asian movies, there will sometimes be like plot elements, although they don't, they don't even have a sense of plot sometimes that just seems to come out of nowhere, right? Like I have no idea where this element is going or why it's there. And then it just kind of fades away and it's no, because that's how they kind of see life. And there's a question of how, you know, the, 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 how their worldview maybe impacts some of this that we as Westerners can learn in our interaction with different cultures. So I'm very pro learning from other cultures. And I think there's something that, you know, what West has, what the West has provided for the rest of the world and for all of humanity is this idea of harmony, of logic, of reason that I think is acceptable or is an important value to consider. Uh, and I think it's the value that humans need to flourish. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's a good question. And I think a musician would probably have a really interesting answer. Music is not as much my forte as the visual and literary arts. <laughs> but is it, yeah, I've heard that one before. I mean, do you have a thought on that? Um, I don't. I don't. Um, yeah. I don't. It's a tough one. Other, th- other than it, it, our ears may be trained to what we hear and, you know, to what we experience. Yeah. Well, so you're saying like there is some subjectivity and I think that is, so bringing it back to visual arts or like romantic, you know, or, you know, sexual and what were some people, I think when I read the comments for the swimsuit edition, uh, that, that swimsuit issue that Jordan Peterson is talking about is they're kind of confusing certain things about like the, an ideal model versus like you find this woman attractive. Mm-hmm. for a dating like and I, th- I think people do confuse that so a lot of people will say jordan open your eyes she's very beautiful i would date her anytime she can come over anytime and it's like okay <laughs> i don't think that's what he was saying there's nothing in there that he says about this authoritarian standards of beauty being challenged where he says you can't date someone who doesn't fit the ideal model in fact to some degree nobody fits the ideal model that's the point of a model is it's the standard that we're all striving to achieve on some level. And so I think that another question about standards is, you know, what, in what way are they oppressive to people? And is that, or are they good or bad? Or, and can they be oppressive to people to have a standard that you're trying to achieve? Oh, I think um, I, I, don't, I don't consider oppression um, not being able to meet up to a standard. I consider oppression uh, somebody forcing you to do something that you'd rather not. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. so you have complete control over your body and complete free choice. But if somebody's uh, provided a standard or a culture provides a standard that's very high and it's impossible for you to reach it, um, I think what you, if you call it oppressive, you just lack perspective, your own your own personal perspective and or autonomy, right? You, you, you're just not taking responsibility for the fact that, oh, I can't 
I can't attain this objective. It's still something I hold to be an ideal. I may not be able to attain it, but I, I'm going to strive and make the striving the ideal for me, make that the good for me, as opposed to uh, focusing on my inability to attain it. You, you understand? And, and Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's not oppression that you can't attain an ideal. I mean, that's basically my view as well. Like I, when I was, you know, in researching this stuff, the, the argument people make against these kind of body standards and body shaming is that it causes in young women, lots of dysmorphia, mental issues, um, eating disorders and a variety of other problems. Right. So, so, and, and they show, they show in all these videos, actually not some of them, all of them, they literally interview young girls and say, you know, and sometimes young boys, but almost always young girls, like, you know, is this beautiful? Do you, are you beautiful? They have all these videos of young, um, very sad videos of like very, like a two or three year old, uh, little black girl saying she doesn't think she's beautiful. Right. Cause she's, she has dark skin. She has a doll that's white and she thinks they give, you know, girls two dolls, one that's white, one that's black. And, um, you know, the, a black girl chooses the white doll as the beautiful doll. Right. And it's heartbreaking to see. And I think that's, you know, there, there is truth to that. And that's one of the important things that we should be, you know, that the left is advocating that's important to think about is there are these damages or, or cha- not damages, challenges in having an integrated complex society like America. Whereas if you're in, you know, like if I move to China, I'm not going to try to, you know, convince them to have non-Asian dolls there to make me and my kids feel better. I'm going to just have to kind of adopt what they have because they're the vast majority, but we have a much more mixed integrate, you know, a complex society that in terms of ethnicities that we need to kind of, and this is an issue that pops up and another one, you know, places where this happens, I think it's an issue that pops up. So what exactly do you do about that? Because that is a real problem. Um, And, but what's the cause? Is the standard the cause or is something else the cause? Yeah. So, um, well, I think, so my view is that the cause is an improper understanding of how to educate children because you're going to be confronted with a variety of values and different ways of organizing your life. And what I think we need to be helping kids with is figuring out how to think through these issues to attain their own deepest values and what they think is most interesting and exciting for themselves and their own future. So some people are going to value things a little bit differently. Maybe some people are readers and they stay at home more often and they're not super active. So they're not going to, you know, they, if you're like that and you also value you know, the super energetic fit swimsuit model, you know, old school swimsuit model uh, type of superstar athlete female, that's going to be hard. That's not impossible, but you know, that's a a difficult value. You might need to go out and change your values a little bit if that's something that you really want. Um, You know, like if you want to date a dancer and you hate dancing, that could be a challenge sometimes. And there's these values. I think there's these values we have. There's a, there's an infinite amount. We have to help people, young people make decisions about those values and, and how to figure them out for themselves. And that's one, one issue rather than try to fix society. That's my point. So what we're trying to do is like fix society and say like, this is evil because these magazines, these TV commercials, these <clears throat> movies and TV stars are all, you know, impossible to meet. So let's 
fat them, fatten them up. Let's forget about beauty standards and let's just all feel good about ourselves versus having those standards and then understanding how to make decisions or learning how to think, in other words, to pursue your own values the way that you want to within the context of that world. And so teaching kids to put emotions before their minds and treat their emotions as sort of the ideal cognitive tools in their lives is probably not helping matters much at all. Well, yeah, I think like it's, so like if you're dealing with a kid who has that issue where they think this is ugly and that's beautiful, I think that that is something to grow from and to take that as like an opportunity to teach them about beauty and what beauty is and how to look at it. And like, let's look at artworks and ideals from different cultures and different ideas. What, what value does this have versus what value does that have and why? And like, that's, a, that's an opportunity to teach a child versus what I see on the left is like, you feel this certain way, that's ult- the ultimate standard. You're feeling like, that's what you're saying, yeah. I think. And yeah. I agree, that's a, that is majorly problematic. We need to teach them how to use their feelings as mo- uh, motive, to motivation to learn more about these types of things and to explore the world rather than saying that that's the standard, like what I feel is ultimate. And everyone has to adjust to my feelings. It's like, no, that's nonsense. What, what, what about something like this, this swimsuit issue actually making, um, suddenly making a goal within reach that might not have been in reach to someone previously? So somebody who is a plus size, good looking woman might not have even considered the, the uh, swimsuit issue of uh, Sports Illustrated to be a, a worthy goal to shoot for, but now she can. And, and, and what do you say about that doing something rather good for her self-esteem, right? What do you, I mean, um, y- you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, like, there's, there's been a revisionist historical movement that t- t- took the founding fathers off their pedestals and exposed all their shortcomings to us. There they are in the background right there. Um, now, for me, um, it didn't make them less uh, giant. In, in some respects, it made them, I think the intention was to diminish them, but it made them greater to me because I saw how they were able to overcome uh, their own times and rise above them in many ways. And that is a teaching tool for me, but it also made them very accessible. I saw them no mm-hmm. longer, it wasn't George Washington. It wasn't mm, the version of George Washington. It was the real George Washington, you know, um, yeah. Um, and that is, that's, that's something I can do. And this sports illustrated model, um, that's something I can do. Right. And, and so that could pull people up who, um, who might've been discouraged before. Well, I, so I, I don't know if you agree with that. I don't agree with that. I don't know if you're you're saying that as like an idea. Devil's advocate. Devil's advocate. Yeah. Like, um, cause I'm gonna have to contradict. I don't think that's accurate. I think, you know, like, if we have the lowest of low standards, then that's the highest we're ever going to achieve. Right. And so having higher and higher standards is about achieving higher and higher things. Right. And it's, I, I, and I don't even accept the psychological conclusion. Now I'm not saying that this doesn't happen, but I don't accept the psychological conclusion yet that having these standards makes most women feel bad. Most of the time, I think it actually makes many women feel good. Some of the times, and we don't ever talk about, any of the, the women that feel great about when they see them, you know, something in the model and they take out a new diet regime and they go after it. I mean, we only focus on the absolutely unhealthy aspects of it. Not like 
oh, like how many millions of women, you know, lost some weight, <laughs> like went to the gym. It's like, and they felt a little bit better about themselves. That's good. That's a really good thing. Um, you know, I know I don't look like it, but I go to the gym. And the reason I started going to the gym 10 years ago, and I go five days a week, and I started because of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's pumping iron. I knew I was never, ever going to look like freaking Arnold Schwarzenegger and pumping iron. There's no way. Even when I dieted the most, you know, I was going to the gym five, six days a week. Like, I just knew I wasn't going to do it. I mean, one, I wasn't going to take steroids, but, uh, you know, there's... <laughs> I just knew that wasn't going to happen, but it drove me to the gym because I thought it was really interesting and fun to try to build my body like a sculpture, which is what he talks about at a point in that, in that movie. And I thought that was cool. And, I, and it, it made me get off my ass, literally, and go to the gym. And I've gone to the gym almost every day for 10 years. I've never missed a time. And I love it. And I think, like, to me, that's what standards have. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was an impossible standard. I would never have achieved him, his standards unless I, you know, quit everything and dedicated my entire life to it. And even then it's hard to believe. And that's what it is. And if, if he was like, um, you know, a kind of, if he looked like me now, then I would look like, like if I was the standard and then that's what I like looked up to, I would be like a flat, fat blob of nothing. Right. I never would have been motivated to get off my ass. Right. I mean, I think the great thing about a standard is it forces you to reach up. You don't, you don't reach, that's it. Yeah. You don't reach laterally to standards. You reach up to standards. And that, that I think is what Jordan Peterson is reacting to. And what people are confusing when I read the comments, including some of the comments in our chat, which we have some super chats. I'll try to read them. Thank you everybody for the robust conversation. But one of the things I think people confuse is, you know, what I would even form is objective beauty standards or art, almost artistic ideals versus sexual attractiveness. And there's a lot of art that I, pretty much all art that I could find very beautiful, but I'm not going to have sex with art. And I think that is something that seems confusing to people. Um, and it's like, you know, like we hold movie stars and TV stars attractively to a different standard than we do in our day-to-day -day life, right? Like there, there's even, there's, there's when, when I'm judging Scarlett Johansson, I'm judging her in relation to all the other ideals of movie stars, not to the girl who I'm interacting with at Starbucks, who I might actually date. And I think we do. And she's kind of, that's not to say that the girl that I'm actually going to date is not beautiful, but it's just to say that our standards are a little bit different. And I understand because I'm not, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not stupid. Scarlett Johansson doesn't even look like that, right? Like that is Scarlett Johansson with a, um, you could tell I have a crush on Scarlett Johansson, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that is Scarlett Johansson with like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars spent on her beauty and looking a certain way. So did you want, so we have some super chats. We have a lot of super chats. Yeah. Do you want to read a couple of them? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is from Roland for uh, four euro 99. Uh, preferences vary. I'd, uh, I'd take that lady over a skinny chick any day. There you go. So this that's is what I'm again, saying. Yeah. Again, talking about who you'd have a relationship with and uh, standards, uh, ideal standards of beauty are different. Yeah. Uh, Mary Aline, uh, five dollars. Uh, no comment. Just the five dollars. Thank you, Mary Aline. Uh, Robert uh, with five dollars says, should we feel sympathy for Jordan Peterson? After all, he looks like uh, he looks like JPB or J. JBP, and he says things like this, poor unfortunate soul. Yeah, he did get a lot of comments 
by the way, where where people were posting pictures of him and saying, uh, definitely not beautiful. <laughs> and and say sort of reflecting his his comment back at him. What do you say? What do you say about that? Should we have should we have well, I, I, I mean again that people are not I think why he quit Twitter, by the way, is because people are not engaging with his question at all. His question is about um, the ideal model we should be striving for, not do you find particular individuals attractive for dating? And Correct. I think people don't understand the difference and they therefore get mad at him when he accuses someone, this magazine, who has always presented as a swimsuit model that we, should, that we could strive for. And he's saying that's not beautiful. And no matter how much you, your authoritarianism makes you want to enforce this standards, it's not. It's not what he, we should be striving. He probably for. should have worded it differently. Then, but if maybe he, yeah. if he's making if he's making a comment about standards of beauty that rise to the level of artistic standards that we strive for, but may not necessarily be able to attain, and or attractive people that we could date and want to date then he should have probably made that distinction a little bit more clearly so people could understand. I think he was trying to do it in the comment section when he was talking about how, yeah. uh, you know, some intellectual activists are trying to change standards of beauty in there. And, and that is in itself a very damaging thing for them to do. And that he wouldn't be wrong in that respect, but mm -hmm. uh, he definitely could have worded this differently. What say you with respect to that? Oh, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how he could have worded it, but I also think people could like stop and think, and question what he's actually trying to say. And in, instead of trying to come up with the cutest meme to make people laugh or the cutest whip, quitty, you know, quirky, witty thing to say that has nothing to do with what he's saying and try to make people laugh. Or to jump on the I hate Jordan Peterson bandwagon. Yeah, or to jump on that bandwagon Twitter once it starts. uniquely equipped to, yeah, do, uh, to do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Here's uh, $5 from Mary Lane. Thank you. Um, Robert Peterson wouldn't be bad looking if he got that awful lugubrious look off his face. <laughs> that is is beautiful. That's true. He's a dark soul. He's very dark. Yeah. <laughs> For real. He's a dark soul. And yeah, uh, we saw him at uh, at one of the Ocons uh, when he sort of debated Iran and uh, Greg Salamari. And uh, I, I thought he was very appealing up there on yeah. stage, but he's, he certainly has elements to his being that um, that are dark. It's and very I, dark. I, and and that matters. Yeah, and that matters. And that's not yeah. it's, it's not good equipment to handle what's going to come at him on Twitter when he makes a comment this week. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's a good point. Yeah. Robert gives us another five dollars the morning after when this has been forgotten. Yumi will still have that body and Jordan will still have the kind of soul which made that statement. Mm, what do you say to that? That's a that's a pretty intense well, thing for Robert to say. Thank you, Robert. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I saw Midsummer's Night stream in Shakespeare in the Park just recently. Um, mm -hmm. And Chikalala is putting that on here in Austin. And I haven't read that in a long time. I reread it to get ready for the play. And there's the line, "Looks love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you know, is Cupid painted blind. And, you know, love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind. Now, that's not to say that people can't be beautiful. But in the play, by the way, the way it's traditionally... Um, acted is you have the two main characters, male characters who are supposed to be basically identical and they're both going after the same woman essentially and Demetrius and I'm forgetting the guys Lysander and they're both going after I think Hermia and one of them, you know, another girl, Hermia's friend loves uh, Demetrius and you know, anyway but there's supposed to be a lot of symmetry in, in how the people look together 
And the only thing you can kind of come up with is that the reason they love each other is just kind of this arbitrary thing of uh, something about their character that we have to try to glean through the play, right? And I think character has a lot to say about beauty, a lot. That Now, again, we have to separate that from visual beauty of a magazine cover because that's mm-hmm. not presented at all. It's only the physical standards and that's the issue. But yeah, I mean, I could totally see myself marrying a woman like this. Like if she was a wonderful person, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and she, if she's the type of person that like me likes to be active and go to the gym and work out, then yeah. Now if she sits on her butt, no, I'm not going to be interested. Like if she's lazy, no, I'm not going to be. And there's, and you know, so what they're saying here is about Jordan Peterson's soul is that the soul is a beautiful thing or can be a beautiful thing. And it can be something that you are or are not attracted to based on certain individual values that you have. Mm -hmm. And I recommend everyone read a poem and study a poem called She Walks in Beauty by Lord Byron, which is about this, which is about the harmonious beauty of a woman that he sees and how her inner joy manifests in her external world. And she kind of brings, like, you know, you've met a woman who may not be like the the world-changing beauty that would end up on a swimsuit model, but when she walks into a room, it like lights up, right? Like other people light up around her. She's a joy to be around. And that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. I think that's great. Let's not forget that that's probably the way Cleopatra was. And and, uh, she wasn't supposed to be a conventional beauty, but spoke many languages and was a wit and and, and had a light that uh, that attracted men of great power to her, and uh, and that is that is a dimension of beauty that isn't considered in the tweet, and that can make or break physical beauty, uh, right? I mean, we were talking earlier yeah. about Amber Heard being uh, conventionally <laughs> beautiful, but Very beautiful, yeah. hideously ugly in in enough ways to detract entirely from her physical presence, whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, well, like you could put her on a swimsuit model and she would look great and we would have no problem with her as an ideal physical model. But then if she walked into a room, you would hate her and never want to talk to her and never want to sleep with her. Exactly. And, uh, and there's something to be said for that. Um, Allie Beard with $5 says, I have no pity for Peterson. He knows what he's doing and doesn't know when to quit. His attitude towards many subjects is unsurprising. Strange to me, she says. What do you think of that? Well, I mean, like I said in the past on this show, I think there is, no, I believe in the role of ideals in our lives and they're critical. So I agree with Peterson in his defense of trying to have ideals, whatever those ideals may be. Now, if your ideals are this new ideal of an overweight woman as the ideal standard of beauty, you can make that argument is that that's a value. Um, And that's something we, you know, I was, the, the question is why, what underlying value is there in the overweightness of it, of someone? And, it, you know, so someone could argue she's not overweight, she's healthy. And that, I think, is a, an interesting conversation to have. Maybe you can make that, that, you know, she's not, it's not like she's obese. She's not, this woman is not obese. I think that's what, um, you know, like if she was another even 25 pounds, then that might be clear that she's very obese. She's just a bigger woman in a sense, right? Um, so I think like, that's what makes it very complicated is, is what, what underlying value are you representing? So for instance, if you, 
want to represent the active lifestyle, you're going to represent someone a little bit more toned and skinny, like if that's important to you. If you want to represent someone who's, you know, lounging around doing nothing most of the day, and maybe leisure is what you're trying to, you might want to represent someone who's a little bit bigger, who's just kind of sitting around eating. Although again, that, that kind of, to me, connotes the kind of just gorging self that doesn't, versus, connote, that doesn't connote a conscious life to me right that, yeah exactly that's just about that's a minimal existence and that's part of the reason why it, it's it's we can say that there's there's certain assumptions we make about people who who um have us who, who meet up to this quote-unquote standard of, of physical beauty is that there, there's something about the way they are approaching life that has a very conscious, conscientious approach to their, to their physical well-being, and it sort of translates, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, Regina, with two, two uh, euros, says, pair character turning around, waving his hand, saying, hey, you, while lowering his glasses. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand that either, but yeah. thank you. Sorry, Regina. Uh, maybe maybe <laughs> you can give us a translation later on. Enric uh, Teller with 499 says, an error is something assigning intrinsic qualities to concretized ideals in models, actors at all. Assigning intrinsic qualities to concretized ideals in models, actors at all. You want to translate that one for me? Error is some assigning intrinsic qualities to concretized. Um, some assigning intrinsic qualities to concretized ideals. I mean, there's something about that that I'm, that's striking me as correct. Assigning intrinsic qualities to concretized ideals. So if he's saying like- Oh, like you can't say something is good yeah. because it's symmetrical or harmonious or something like that. Is that I, what you're I, saying, Eric? I, yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean- How so, they used to, how they used to in, in the old days or, you know, when Hamlet and Ophelia have the conversation in act three, scene four about beauty in combination with uh, beauty and goodness were thought to be, uh, mm, yeah. were thought to be together. Virtue and beauty were thought to accompany one another and that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're, um, you know, if we're gonna say like someone looks, I don't know, intelligent is a value, and we're gonna we're gonna associate that with like glasses or something like that, right? Like if you wear glasses, you're definitely intelligent. Khmer <laughs> Rouge, they killed a lot of people with glasses. Yeah, yeah, and I I think that is that if that's what Enric is saying, I agree that's a problem. You shouldn't, you know, uh, you shouldn't uh, associate concretes or these these fundamental values with a specific concrete necessarily. That being said, some concretes can artistically represent certain aspects of you know, our views, right? So that there is something to that, that idea of like, again, so I'm going to show you something um, that I was going to point out earlier. This is a pro-magnum uh, man sculpture. Can you guys see this? Uh, yeah. You know what? I think somebody um, posted this as a, uh, on, on Jordan Peterson's Twitter. I want to say I've seen this. Yeah, so this is... Um, I didn't even know Cro-Magnon men did art. Well, yeah, and, and so this comes from uh, Sandra Shaw's Windows on Humanity. Or this is where I learned about this, and I did a show with her. Uh, and she goes all the way back. And, you know, so part of what she's doing is like excavating values 
from cultures based on the little bits of things that they um, have. And that's that I think that's Jordan Peterson's perspective of a little bit is like, if we're to go 10,000 years in the future, 30,000 years in the future and kind of excavate our deepest values as a culture, you know, what, what are we saying uh, to ourselves into the future in a sense? And one of the things that people I think misunderstand about the idea that I've heard a lot and that you probably have, you probably have heard is that different cultures have different standards of like weight, for instance. And like in the past, men were attracted to heavy women, heavy set women. And that is not a hundred percent accurate. That's not an actual way to look at it. Even looking at this standard, I think people are misunderstanding the underlying value that was had. And so what Sandra and I talked about was these people's 30,000 years ago were living on hand to mouth most of the time. They can observe, and this is where values come from if you're you know, objectivists and where they should come from, is observation. They observed that skinny women, as these nomadic tribes are moving around trying to survive, skinny women gave birth to unhealthy babies that often died more often. If the tribe was doing well and they could have a woman sit down and um, you know, just eat and then give birth, she gave birth more often to healthy babies. So this is not about sexual desire of the sense of loving a person for the person. This is about fecundity. This, mm. is, this is about like, I see this woman as capable of giving birth to more people. That's what I value as a culture back then. Not mm. the fatness, the fecundity. And so if you think about like, well, what does it say that we're trying to like make more, more and more women, uh, you know, these bigger sense, like what is the underlying value? I Honestly, I think the underlying value today is more just um, irrational acceptance of who you are versus who you could be. That's how I would think of it. Mm. And I, there's all these different values, like, you know, so there's this underlying thing of, in terms of these standards that they don't allow, allow us to accept who we are. So the question, should we accept ourselves as we are? No, that's my answer. We should try to be better always till the day you die. That's it. Until the day you die, you should be growing. That's what I've learned from Ayn Rand. And I agree with that intellectually, spiritually, physically. Yes, you're going to change. Yes, there's certain parameters. I'm never going to be as big and beautiful as Arnold Schwarzenegger when he was winning Mr. Olympia. It's never going to happen. I'm still going to strive for it. I love it. I'm going to fight for it. And that's, that's my point. Uh, you should not accept who you are. That's the message. That's the underlying value. Now that's going to fall on some on some. Uh, it's going to fall harshly on a few ears, um, and uh, and I can see why. As much as I agree with this principle myself, I think you sh- you are either improving or you're going backwards. There's there's really yes. no there's really no stasis in life, right? It's it's moving forward or you're 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 deteriorating. And yeah. I would prefer to move forward than deteriorate, but. There is an element, I think, which encompasses the art of living, uh, which is um, still allowing for who you are and liking and accepting who you are, even though it's in process. So that's not a form of, I'm just going to accept whatever I am and whoever I am without improvement, but you do have to live with yourself. Right. You do have mm-hmm. to, there has to be an embrace of what you are in the, in the here and now at the same time that you are, uh, are, are improving. And how do you, how do you, how do you walk that tightrope? I think that is the deep question. We're kind of running out of time. 
So I think there's, it's hard to get into all of it. I'll just say that I have always prided myself in going after self-help books. I love Benjamin Franklin as a model for this because he's, a, he's famously had a virtue journal where he would actually have specific traits he wanted to have, and he would track it every single day. You know, I overate today. I lied today, or I, you know, didn't tell the full truth today. I spoke too much. I don't remember all that. He had all these virtues and he tracked it every day. And, you know, does that mean he didn't accept himself? No, I think he accepted himself as someone who's striving to be good. I think pride isn't accepting who you are as like this being that's somehow been set, made by reality, culture, God. You are a self-made man or woman. And so you should take pride in like, I am who I am because I conscientiously went out and, and uh, worked toward it. That's what I'm proud of. And that's what I accept about myself. And I make flaws and I have flaws and I think about how can I change those flaws? Well, like people think I'm, I'm extroverted. I was, I'm super shy and I was always shy. I, when I was 18, decided I'm going to do hundred percent commission sales jobs because I want to learn how to be forced myself to be more uh, outgoing. And, and I, I, took on, I'd set up these traits that I want to learn. So my point is, no, you should not accept who you are in the sense of accepting your negative traits that you know are negative about yourself. You should know who you are, know thyself, and then try to, from there, try to strive for something better. Yeah. But you should, you should be cognizant of the fact that you're in process and always changing. And, and always, yeah. And, and that I think will help you deal with where you are in the moment, even though you're striving to be something better all the time. Mary Aline uh, with $2 says fertility goddess. Uh, we think, I think so. We, we, you, you were right. Yeah. And Robert says, should you ever love and accept yourself as you are? And uh, you answered that as, as yeah. in no, but we, I, I, I would add to that. And I think you would agree that you can understand your being in constant process and, and so then you don't get in the, in the warfare with yourself or beating yourself, <laughs> I like integrating it. yourself. Yeah. You take yeah. pride in the fact that you are constantly evolving and actively changing as a human being. Yeah. Uh, you have to, this will be the last thing. You have to know the difference between the metaphysically given and the man-made. Ayn Rand wrote a great article and that applies to your soul that I'm never going to be seven foot tall and play in the NBA. There's certain limits. I'm never going to be a certain kind of beauty, but yeah. I, within the limits of my abilities, I, so I can accept that. But within the limits, I can improve. Okay, so I think that's all we have time for. Um, I'll, concluding thoughts and final saying to Mark. Yeah. Oh, no, uh, may, maybe you should, because I think you, you brought the nice poem and everything. I think you have a, 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 <laughs> a great way to sum this up. And I'll just say the final announcement. Well, I, I mean, to me, that's the summing it up is the metaphysical versus the man-made mm -hmm. is a complex thing. And mm -hmm. this applies not only to the external world, but to your internal world. And so I do think like, you know, there's certain traits that some people are just more productive, for instance, and there's a limit and you, you shouldn't kill yourself literally trying to be as productive. However, you should improve your productivity. You both can be equally the same. Same thing with, with body shaming. Like I, there's certain limits to my body. I work out a lot and it's hard, man. Like doing certain things for me is really, really challenging, but I, so I accept who I am and I still try to be better. And I think of ways to be better. And that, I think both are true. And that's my final statement. For Absolutely. And I think that's the art of living. And I think uh, yeah. Jordan missed it a little bit in complaining yeah. about a, a real thing that's happening, which yeah, is yeah. A culture that's attempting to undermine standards of beauty and replace them with something else. He, uh, he ended up uh, 
being a little bit problematic. Uh, Bonnie, uh, Bonnie uh, Bertrand with $2 says, so many good points from both hosts, must re-listen. Thank you, Bonnie, for your contribution. Now, uh, upcoming shows, uh, 7 p.m. UK time, we're starting the Fountainhead Book Club on the first chapter with Lisa Van Dam and Shoshana Milgram, 9 p.m. UK time with James Valiant. We'll be discussing Ayn Rand's The Intellectual Bankruptcy of Our Age. Uh, Awesome. In, in full evidence on Twitter every day of the week, folks. Uh, look, it's been a joy for me to talk to you again, Kirk. Yeah, uh, thanks, Mark. Awesome. Uh, I really think you uh, shed a lot of great light on a very controversial uh, topic. I thought it was going to be way more controversial, but it turns out objectivists uh, have the right take on this as they have on so many other things. Um, but thanks for co-hosting. It's been awesome. This has been The Daily Objective brought to you by the Ayn Rand Center UK, and we will see you later.